everyone, Brian Beeler, and welcome to the podcast. We're here live in San Jose, California with Vast Data, and we're talking with a couple of the partners and getting their input on what Vast Data is doing, but also some of the larger industry trends. And with me today, I've got Rob Davis from NVIDIA. Rob, thanks for taking time out of your busy morning to sit with us. My pleasure. Um, should we talk DPUs or talk cars and sports? <laughs> well, both are really fun and both are really fast. Uh, so. But let's stick to DPUs Fine. today. Um, it's funny. I did go back in the archives. actually pulled it up. Uh, we did podcast 76 with uh, Kevin Deerling about a year, a little more than a year ago, talking about DPUs. And at the time, Great. people didn't know what it was. Like Mellanox had been working on it, then coming in under the NVIDIA uh, brand, and, and people are confused, right? It's a GPU company getting into these odd data accelerator cards. Um, trying to figure out what what's going on here. So we've done a lot of education since then. The market in one year has evolved so much, both in terms of what you guys have done, what competitors have done in terms of adopting these concepts. Mm -hmm. So over the last uh, 12 months, if you can kind of summarize maybe some of the progression in the DPU world. Sure, sure. So we love acronyms in this industry, right? So DPU is a data processing unit. That's a good point of clarity. And it fits very well into NVIDIA with the GPU because the GPU is designed to offload and accelerate compute for a CPU. A DPU is designed to offload and accelerate data movement. But a little more than that, it also does that while securing that data movement to authorize users. So okay. um, it fit very well into the whole scheme of things with GPUs and DPUs. And as you know, at NVIDIA, we're getting into the CPU market with our Grace processor uh, right. in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because you come from a Mellanox background, so much innovation there in data transport. I'll loosely call it networking or whatever, but right. really it's, it's fundamentally data getting from one node to another, from storage to compute or, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember um, in our early days and working with Mellanox back then, it was InfiniBand in 56, and that was like unconscionable like to, to think about moving that fast. Yeah. And then um, you, know, you look at that and the disruption on the switching side, and I know uh, that there's some new things there that, that you guys are working on too. Um, fundamentally though, a lot of things had to catch up. Software had to catch up. Operating environments had to catch up. And even the way people thought about things had to And the industry. So that's another yeah, yeah. component right. of, the, of the NVIDIA story is AI, right? GPUs in many of their applications are data hungry beasts. They need data, more data than you can put in the machine the GPUs are in. Mm -hmm. And that's why the high performance storage has over networking has really caught up in a hurry and DPUs have really caught up in a hurry is because um, feeding those GPUs data is the lifeblood of a lot of AI applications. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And just as a point of clarity, I mean, GPUs stand out as like the edge cards that people chunk into to gaming PCs or into servers. And that's a thing too, right? Yes, yes. But when you're talking AI, yeah, you're really talking about these large graphics systems with the DGX. We, exactly. So we make a server called a DGX that has integrated into it many. It's sort of like a, a regular, think of a x86 server, but it has 
the latest one has eight of our best highest end GPUs built into it and a tremendous amount of I.O. slots for a lot of different things. Clustering the boxes together is one of them, but also storage. There's two slots dedicated, 200 gigs each, so 400 gig total just for getting storage in and out of that box. And then we OEM a version of that, basically a, a motherboard that goes into our OEM partners called an HGX which um, is a similar architecture and they tend to copy um, a DGX design with multiple uh, I.O. slots for, for storage. And then there's the EGX, which are the cards you're talking about right. that you can put in any server. And again, those, depending on the server, you know, you can feed just as much data into them with a technology we call GPU Direct Storage or GDS for short, another acronym. <laughs> well, you, you have to, right? I mean, it makes it easier and shorthand uh, quicker. There you go. The um, Yeah, it's interesting because we were just at Supercompute in St. Louis. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you've got many partners there. Supermicro was showing off their integrated design. That's an HGX design, which exactly. Is, which is really interesting and mm -hmm. um, others have announced them uh, since then. You know, it, it stands out to me though, and I, I'm sure you're not prepared for this conversation, but that as you do these things, as you put more power in these systems, that you introduce new challenges, one of them being cooling these components. I mean, you're talking about putting eight GPUs in yeah. a box that's, um, you know, Super Micros is uh, the one we saw is air cooled, but liquid cooling has got to be coming fast for some of these technologies. And I got to tell you, at Mellanox, we had. 2,000 people. Here we have 22,000 people at NVIDIA. So there you could kind of know what was going on everywhere. I have no expertise in our liquid cooling, although I know we have it. And I know we have kits for it that we provide to customers. And well, we've, we've seen some of your partners that, uh, that, that have new designs coming at Supercompute that we saw. And it's absolutely phenomenal what's going on there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you talk about what DPUs are enabling, what new interfaces, PCIe Gen 5, Gen 6 was just ratified. So now you know, that the bandwidth potential can be opened up on those slots even further. Absolutely. But cooling has got to be a concern for, for these things. What I found in this company is there's so many smart people. <laughs> I mean, Mellanox had lots and lots of smart people, but here it's on steroids and it seems like we solve those kind of problems right and left. Yeah, just as they as they come, right? Right, as they come. Uh, you know, and my focus is not so much worrying about the heat, is worrying about getting enough data across the network into those GPUs. All right, so let's go back to that. Organizations don't want to lose any data anymore. And by lose, I mean really get it onto old storage or, or cold storage. They don't want to delete anything. You know, we go through, the industry goes through these waves, right? There was a period of time, I remember, about seven or eight years ago, where there was a lot of talk of deleting data. Like, you might hold on to something that could legally compromise you, so we should delete that. I and, remember, and, yeah. and, and it was more of a legal argument than a data argument. But back then, it was difficult to take a data lake and, and do this in-depth AI analytic workloads to mine them for anything. It was mm -hmm. cumbersome, it was slow, it was hard. Mm -hmm. Organizations were definitely doing it, no doubt, mm -hmm. um, especially in retail. I mean, they would look at, at trends and what does Kim Kardashian do that in, in, influences you know, the amount of genes that we need to produce or, or whatever. But like, there was all these data points floating sure, around sure. that had to be analyzed. 
now nobody wants to delete anything because the more we can feed those those machine learning engines, the AI exactly. uh, algorithms, the more data, the more history, it, it makes a big difference, right? Yeah. And you must be seeing this. Well, the interesting thing that you learn coming into NVIDIA is more about AI, right? And what was super interesting to me was kind of an epiphany that Jeeps, artificial intelligence is really like people learn by experience. And what you're talking about is the data you need to feed GPUs so that they can have those lifetime experiences and form the algorithms that are the artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So that's why you want to keep all that data. Because if you decide, you know, take autonomous vehicles, you see these cars driving around with cameras collecting data. Especially out here, right? Especially out here or for the last 10 years out yeah. here, maybe yeah. not 10. We don't get a lot of them in Cincinnati, but uh, you know, out here it's normal. Sure. That's so that they can feed the GPU that's going to run the artificial intelligence of that car with all the things that it could see. So it gains the experience in that algorithm on how to react. And right. so that's why people are all of a sudden wanting to keep all this data for AIs because you can't predict 10 years from now what kind of AI you want to implement that that data could be very useful for. Well, the autonomous driving example, I feel like, is so... Uh, Overused? It's, no, it's tangible, uh, right? Uh -huh. Because we can oh, understand yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyone can understand it in that we take a car, it's got a uh, uh, sensors all over, it's got a data collection unit in it, it's got maybe a couple SSDs in there, we've seen all sorts of implementations, but flash or whatever, but it's not really doing a lot of, of analysis in the car so much as gathering all this data. It's just gathering data for those algorithms right. that have been not quite perfect so far. No, exactly, but even <laughs> yeah. that creates an interesting data challenge because now you get back to the shop, you've got this uh, cartridge or a couple drives that have from what we've seen, anywhere from 40 to 60 terabytes of data, sometimes more. Now they've got to get 64 terabytes per day of day for a day of yeah. one of these collection cars yeah. is what the number that I hear from our autonomous vehicle team. Right. So now they've got to get this into a server. Yes. Get yeah. that data from those drives right. in, into something, right? So there's exactly. an ingest challenge. Yep. Yeah. Um, that can be direct attached, but eventually it gets into a big... And if you think of a DPU that's designed to accelerate and secure storage, it's a perfect example of the little space you're trying to put this storage system into. Mm -hmm. Perfect example of a solution that could be used, could be done there. And then we take the data, we keep growing our, our pool. Well, then you drive the car up to the data center and plug yeah. it in at 400 gig and boom, 64 terabytes are automatically being processed by the GPUs the same night, the, the day it drove. And ideally then you get the revised algorithm, you send the car back out and then off it goes and learn and exactly. rinse and repeat. Because those cars also have GPUs in them to practice what the latest formula is and or the latest algorithm is and see if it's responding correctly you know mm -hmm. and, and keeping all the data so that when it makes a mistake you can they can go back and say oh it made a mistake when this you know guy with a funny hat walked in front of it and it didn't think it was a person right yeah, we, we hadn't thought of sombreros <laughs> on the streets or, or whatever like yeah something like that yeah so in the in the old days and even in current times a lot of these big data pools end up being on hard drive which is for cost metrics or even in the cloud for, for perceived cost metrics, which mm -hmm. may or may, may not be um, there. We're seeing, too, a migration to get some of these things onto Flash. 
so that they're more responsive and that these models can run more quickly against large data pools? I mean, maybe talk about what you're seeing there too in terms of... So I think you've probably, you know, I don't think there's anything secret here that the NVMe.org organization has been working on hard disk interfaces for NVMe. We've talked about that. Yeah, so, so there's an acceleration point just for the hard drives. Um, to get them onto NVMe instead of, you know, the SAS and all the controllers and complexity of that and mm -hmm. the performance um, uh, bottlenecks there. Um, but from a flash perspective, um, definitely the world has gone to flash. You know, the, I think the disk drives are now basically a tier, you know, a second tier solution. And, um, you know, because of uh, you can't delete anything, tape is still there. <laughs> and uh, we, we were just doing a bit on tape. Uh, How many times have you heard tape is dead, right? Certainly yeah. not. The density and longevity make it uh, pretty, pretty nice to have. And now there's this new tier of, um, of SSDs, you know, well, 3D crossbuds have been around for a few years, but even the mainstream guys like uh, Samsung with their Zenant, right? And that is being used in applications, you know, actually um, fast is doing some of this where they use that as a really fast response tier and then they have regular flash behind that. And then I think what you're gonna see is a lot of the players like Vast and I don't, I'm not saying anything I know about their roadmap, I'm just guessing because I talk to a lot of players like that are looking at in the future adding those hard drives that are now NVMe based so they can fit right into the infrastructure as another tier. But SSDs for mass are definitely everywhere and they've totally kicked hard drives out of the mass market. Well, for any performance workload, obviously, right? Yeah. And now even more with... I think for any market, at least is the first tier. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think analytics has really accelerated some of that totally. transition, right? Yeah, because totally. if you've got you know, a couple petabytes on hard drives and you're running against that. It's well, you know those DGX machines, and I don't know what super micro charges for them, but it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you're paying a lot for those GPUs. You don't want them sitting around waiting for a hard drive they, they, to load that no, data. No, they can't be idle. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just a, uh, a macro version of, of the Creative Pro that has a $30,000 workstation with a nice GPU or two in it that yeah. you don't want that idle either. Exactly. And yeah. now from, with all this uh, work from home or work remote or, or whatever the modality yeah. is for yeah. new work, the innovation that's being done in the data center to enable these high-end VDI, I, mean, I just talked to Luke about this, Wignall, about, uh, about he loves VDI, but, um, so I, I don't want to barrage you with it, but the, just the concept of pulling that into the data center and getting your workloads against those things so that they're always churning. Right. But the same modality for, for DGX, right? that thing has got to be cranking all the time absolutely and then we talked about data transport as being part of the issue there exactly and that's where dpus come into play as well because you know they offload that data movement from the cpus and i probably kevin probably talked about this because this is one of his um i don't know i'd call it inventions but basically he's been talking for quite a few years now definitely in melanox time about how moore's law is dead Right, I think our newest chip is five nanometer. Our one after it's probably three. Mm -hmm. Nanometers are the width of an atom, right? You have to have an insulation layer between your traces. There's an end to this. <laughs> and so <laughs> CPUs are not gonna get any faster very soon. And so devices like DPUs 
that will enable the CPU to not have to worry about, mon I'll call them mundane tasks, like moving the data around and making sure it's secure and accelerating um, latency intense or latency important or CPU cycle intensive um, functions is super important. And that's, I think, what the world is starting to realize. And going back to like your earlier question about what's the difference in DPUs, what were called smart NICs or whatever, back a couple of years ago, and where the market is now. I think that's the biggest thing is that it's now realized as a real need uh, going forward. Well, I mean, if we've learned anything in our modest lab in Ohio, is that even on the latest generation, silicon from AMD, Intel, configure the server however you want. Under many workloads, we can saturate those CPUs in host just with four, six, eight SSDs. I mean, it's, it doesn't take much yeah. to really stress those systems. Yeah. So now what we're, you know, what people are talking about is lanes. How do we get more lanes to the front for the drives? How do we get more lanes to the back for the IO and, and connectivity? Yeah. And not to diminish the, the value of, this, of the CPU. I mean, you need something in there to run system stuff and applications, and that's a different conversation. But getting around and, and offloading storage is just so natural. Well, and with a DPU, it's designed, at least from the design input I got into the couple of generations we've had so far, to accelerate that storage. So if you think about a JBOF today, right? Another one of our acronyms, right? <laughs> just a bunch of flash. Um, today, they're like a small server. There's an x86, a bunch of memory, because x86s have lots of channels of memory. <laughs> a uh, couple of NICs, a PCI switch, and all the SSDs. And all that CPU that's designed to be general purpose to do all kinds of computational tasks, all it's doing is converting NVMe protocol coming on the PCI bus to NVMe over fabrics protocol going out the NICs. Mm -hmm. It's a super expensive, powerful machine doing a very mundane task. And what VAST is doing, or you know, I don't know if they're telling you this. Yeah, but they're, we're at their, con their okay. thing, so we should probably talk about them eventually. <laughs> what they're doing is replacing that whole complex mm -hmm. with a DPU. And that allows them to now build a device that's one U, has the same or better capacity, because that technology has gotten better, of their last generation, mm -hmm. that would be impossible if you were using an x86 architecture. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So what they're doing, to your point, is updating their system. Uh, I mean, they're a software provider, but they work with hardware uh, systems yeah. providers to, to deploy their, their Contract software. manufacturers that they then point the yeah, customers yeah. to, yeah. But still fundamental to that system are the pieces that go in, right? To be able to take advantage Absolutely. and let their software really stretch its legs. Most of those software guys, software-defined storage guys, they spec the, the hardware. Mm -hmm. You know, they say, if you want performance, here's the hardware you should buy, and here are the vendors you should go to, and it's all qualified and yeah, supported. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And let these guys focus on, on, on the software world. Right. So it's... When we're talking DPUs, yours, Bluefield, is the... Mm -hmm. Take a second. Just what? how does Bluefield... How do you describe that? Is, so, is that interchangeable yeah, so, with DPU? Um, the NVIDIA DPU is based on an ASIC mm -hmm. called Bluefield. That ASIC has four major components. The ConnectX, which is our NIC technology, I think we're, you know, last I looked, we had well over 50% market share in greater than 10 gigabit um, mm -hmm. NICs. Mm -hmm. So that technology, which is widespread and widely accepted, is the I.O. 
The second component is a processor. The third component is a PCI switch. And the fourth component are accelerators. And for storage, for example, we have accelerators for NVMe over fabrics that that task of converting NVMe to NVMe over fabrics that expensive x86s are doing in JBuffs everywhere today is all in hardware. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the CPU cycles that our ARM processor is running doing that, it's like unmeasurable, you know, less than a percent mm -hmm. because it's just de-encapsulating de those NVMe over fabrics NVMe commands that are inside NVMe over fabrics and sending them right to the SSD across the PCI bus, no interaction with the CPU at all, other than exceptions. So, okay, so the blue field's the silicon that yep. goes onto the, the card that you, we would. Yep, so all you have is that blue field ASIC. Mm -hmm. It's PCI switch, so it has a lot of PCI lanes coming out of it, connect to the SSDs. Sometimes, if they need more than more SSDs, they'll have a PCI switch there. And then the NIC is built in, right? So inside that blue field is the ConnectX RTL mm -hmm. that is can go 10 to 400 gigabits, mm -hmm. right? So basically it's a single chip solution for a JBot. Yeah, and that's in the uh, storage target in the VAST system, we would say. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll get into the, their architecture with uh, with Jeff later, uh, so we don't need to, to get too much into that. Perfect. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that since I didn't give away any secrets. No, no, no. But, <laughs> but their their architecture on the hardware side is really interesting because they're using storage class memory to front end. Yeah. Uh, it could be anything behind, but I believe it's QLC these days um, behind to give really great cost metrics, but maintain the performance. Right. And now with DPU in the system, the transport is is quite amazing. And they can put it in. And I, hopefully he's going to tell you about this, but a one U form factor. <laughs> yeah, right? one U would, form factor. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal, and so especially now, with the capacities. Well, yeah, their customers now can choose to put in petabyte plus if they want into a single node, which is well, plus it. Look crazy. at the other aspects that go into that. That CPU we talked about is burning a lot of cycles that are designed to do other things, right? So it's going to use a lot more power than a DPU. It's going to have all that DRAM, which is a lot of power because you got to have DRAM on all its channels, right, mm -hmm. for it to work. You've got extra NICs that are generating more power and a PCI switch. So by reducing the power, you can reduce the cooling. You can reduce the the form factor, which gives you a smaller footprint, which data centers love, right? Mm -hmm. So all goodness. Talk about complexity of, of networking then in a data center. What does this do in terms of my switching, my uh, my client side mix? What, what, so what needs to happen? Are, you mean like software-defined networking? Well, no, I mean physical switching. I mean, this vast thing's got to connect into oh, yeah, switch, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. So, so now you have more space for your top of rack switch, right? Obviously, if that is that where you're going, well, I... just what what other changes occur in the data center? Well, so you know, Vast uses RDMA quite extensively, and most hyperscalers and even a lot of tier two data centers use RDMA. A lot of them don't like to talk about it, but some of them are public about it, like Microsoft Azure, for example, uh, and. They do that because a lot of their revenue comes from presenting to you with a recommender system, which is another thing that GPUs do really well, um, a recommender system that basically looks at what you've been doing 
and tries to present you with either a like um, activity. You know, if you're looking at race cars, it might pop up, you know, hey, here's the Grand Prix that's going to be coming up. Yeah, exactly. Or something to buy. Anyway, it's where the revenue comes from. And so what RDMA does is give them consistent latency so that they know that before that guy is going to move to the next screen, you've popped up what he's interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and so they support that. Um, and, of course, the GPUs support RDMA with all kinds of RDMA offloads for congestion control and whatnot that have been learned by um, Mellanox, now NVIDIA, working in these very large data center environments, tens of thousands of nodes. And so that networking also applies to GPUs. So I talked earlier about a technology called GPU Direct Storage. Mm-hmm. What GPU Direct Storage does is dramatically improve the performance of getting the data from storage like VAST. And VAST supports GDS, uh, GPU Direct, the acronym for, GDS, for mm-hmm. GPU Direct Storage. Um, moving the data from a VAST system into the GPU because it uses RDMA, which is remote direct memory access. Direct memory access is something that's built into CPUs to move memory from one memory area to another mm-hmm. without sitting in a software loop, you know, load register, move, right. load register, right. move. It's just a hardware engine. You say pointer here, pointer here, counter, go. RDMA does that across a network. So the vast um, adapter, which happens to be an NVIDIA adapter, mm-hmm. is told, here's a memory location, here's the counter, Here's the address in the memory of this GPU, mm-hmm. and it, boom, it comes across the network into that GPU memory totally directly. That's why it's called GPU direct storage, whereas it used to go into the memory of the host CPU, which then put it in its memory, then it told the GPU, pull this out of its memory, all kinds of interrupts and in software that are totally bypassed now. Yeah. I said a lot. I'm sorry. That was a fire hose. <laughs> no, you said a lot, and then you explained it really simply. But I don't want the point to get lost because we, I think in the traditional data center, we think about storage as sort of a, a thing that just holds a bunch of our files or blocks or whatever, right? And it, and it sits there until it's commanded to, to by application to do something, right? Right, right. And to get data for these AI workloads next to or into these GPUs for running the analytics, for running the models, whatever it is that's happening there. Mm-hmm. It's, I think a lot of people think that's easy today. And it's maybe it's not that it's complicated, but that there is so much efficiency that's on the table. So GDS is built into CUDA now, so it is easy. Okay. If you're programming in CUDA, which every, well, not everybody, everybody using NVIDIA GPUs sure. does, you get it it's embedded you're you know when you say move you know again i'm not a gpu expert but when right. you say move data to here if it's remote data it comes on gds right well which is part of why what what you guys are doing with vast i think is so important because vast is building these huge scalable systems right inexpensive too but still high performance right um but most of the i, I will let jeff tell tell us later but most of their deployments, I think, are, are quite large or can be quite large in, Definitely. in many, 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 many petabytes, yeah. right? And these large um, DGX systems, uh, being able to get that much data into those GPU, into that funnel through that you know hole to get to the yeah, GPU absolutely. and then back out the other side, yeah. the efficiency there, I think, is 
tremendous in terms of of, of what it can bring and the, by using the RDMA and yeah, network technology yeah. absolutely and it's such a small thing the way you just said it so that was my point <laughs> is that you went through all these things and then by the way the, it, this is how it works and it's really simple but not everyone's doing it that way I guess so I don't want to I don't want to undersell what's going on well here. GDS is I think we announced it it's actually part of a bigger thing in NVIDIA called Magnum IO mm-hmm. and it's weeks its acronym is MIO right but what Magnum IO is is um a whole bunch of technologies that accelerate I.O. for GPUs. And I think we just announced that initiative and GDS as part of it at maybe the last GTC or maybe the one before it. So it's really new technology and it's going to take a while, like anything, to get out into the installed base. And But um, the performance difference is, is very, very dramatic and I'm guessing Jeff will show you that. Yeah, so, so VAST makes relatively bold move I think by by doing this with their their software working with their hardware partners to bring these platforms out so that mm-hmm. customers can take advantage of this um, it's not easy right or everyone would be doing it definitely you need to um, have a lot of expertise you right. know but vast has a lot of expertise but they you know there's a lot of there's there's plenty of partners doing GDS. You right. know the big name guys are doing it too. Vast is just small and agile, and you know maybe not a startup anymore, but you know they have that attitude still that you might not find in some of the behemoths, and so they're they're ahead of them, right? Well, which is fun, right? That's a good point. Yeah, it's yeah. been storage disruptions. It's been a little while since we've had a big disruption. I think you've got SSDs. To, well, yeah. So you got to go back to those uh, the hybrid arrays initially, where where all these guys were coming out with um, gosh, Teja. I mean, there's a remember Fusion IO and Violin, right? Violin. That's a different story, but no. But you know the PCI based NAND that became SSDs, right? That was the disruption. But look at what it started as just a PCI adapter with a bunch of NAND on it. We were talking last night about Fusion IO. Um, they at one point released a software called Ion that aggregated a bunch of these drives in essentially RAID zero, or you could do it in RAID zero. We're still running one in our lab. No way. It's in RAID zero. We reviewed it. I looked it up last night in 2013. Wow. We dropped the review New Year's Eve. I have no idea why we did that. <laughs> who A reads Christmas that? present. Who reads that crap? At the, well, I don't know. The, the real nerds do. The real nerds do. <laughs> and we're, we're talking about how to share storage uh, back then was... Uh, I don't even remember what the interface on that was. It might have been in FinBand. I don't remember. Um, but still running. And, and that was... Even way back then, people were trying to solve this problem. And the hard drives were saying, oh, don't use NAND. It's going to wear out. It has wear problems, you know, and you're still using it. Seven years later, <laughs> it's been running, yeah. um, which is really quite remarkable. But, yeah, the, the biggest disruptions were around flash hybrids, all flash arrays. A lot yeah. of these guys that came in to unseat the incumbents, EMC yeah. at the time, Dell, HP, before they were Or HP. Seagate and WD yeah. and the hard drive side, right? Yeah. Very really, much. Only one of them has made the jump, you know. And you know, so it's it's interesting what Vast is doing. I think the the engineering bit, their hardware partners working with you guys, gives them a huge differentiation when they go to market. And we've got well, we have NABs coming up, right? There's a lot of big workloads there. GTC, which uh, is just right around the corner, mm-hmm. um, where where a lot of announcements will be made around this technology. So from the NVIDIA perspective, VAST is a super 
important storage partner of ours, but we have a lot of storage partners. So I don't want to make it seem like, um, you know, that they're the only ones we work. Yeah, we're with. just at their event. So that's uh, okay. okay, all right. So but, we can we can. Skew but it a this is bit. probably going to go out, and I'm going to get lots of nasty. Oh, from your other partners? <laughs> yes. If you had a favorite partner. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going there. <laughs> They're all my favorites. You love all your children, but there's one that you like a little more. You could tell us about that. Or like our earlier conversation, there's one car I like a lot more than the other cars I have. <laughs> Fast cars are good cars. Uh, so this, I mean, we've talked a lot about this implementation, the technology benefits, um, that the uh, that the hardware technologies, software technologies offer, uh, vast in this case. Um, when you think about what you guys are doing DP, with DPUs, mm-hmm. what what's next and what's the progression look like? So I focus on DPUs for storage, mm-hmm. and that's one space. I'm sure Kevin covered many other areas. He was we- talking about slapping GPUs on these things as part of the uh, the potential build. So we have a new product along what Kevin is saying. We call it, it had a bunch of different names. I think we called it Bluefield X or something at one time, but now... Extreme Bluefield? Yeah, now it's called a, um, a converged a, a converged accelerator. It's not even got Bluefield in the name. It's a converged accelerator, and it has our latest Ampere on it. It's, it's available today. We're sampling it today. Um, they'll talk a lot about it at GTC, and I don't know how much is... I'm guessing I'm okay saying this because Kevin talked about it, but um, it's got a, a Bluefield and the latest um, Ampere GPU. Mm-hmm. And what it's being used for a lot is what kind of is coined the name um, computational storage. Right. So there's a couple of, couple of startups that I'm going to talk about at GTC, but there's um, also big companies. You know, I think Samsung has something they mm-hmm. call a smart smart SSD, right? Yeah, they've got a deal with Xilinx. They're putting together these computational SSDs. But there's a lot of this. That name is somewhat frustrating because computational storage means a thousand different things. Like DPUs or SmartNICs. You've got got like scale flux that's really going after a capacity angle. You've got PlyOps, which is doing something different with with a physical device and software. You've got NGD. You've got... The Samsung Xilinx thing. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of them trying to figure that. Out. Anyway, this card um, we have startups and big customers looking at using it as a component for a JBoF. Mm-hmm. So you plug that into a JBoF. The Bluefield is taking care of all the drives, like we described earlier. And what the GPU do is doing is pre-sorting like pre-indexing all the data in that JBOF so that when a query comes in, you don't have to move all the data to the server so it can be indexed for searches. Huh, okay. So it's already kind of reading ahead almost and seeing what's there. If you go back in time, there was these things when we were kids called IBM 360s, right? And they had IBM built something, a shark I think it was called, right? Mm. I think it's got some other name now, but anyway. It was called Shark and it was their storage system. And they basically had a mainframe processor in it that did the same thing, but the thing was the size of a refrigerator. Right. It's, it's required a little more powered off. Right? <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot more data it's yeah. looking at. So, you know, our industry, everything comes around, but uh, that's, that's basically what it's doing. But there's other things you can do. Think of compression, right? So different kinds of data 
can be compressed with more efficiency different ways. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a GPU that's been taught like an autonomous vehicle, how to look at data and understand the best way to compress it, not nor near as hard as driving a car, right? Sure. It could store that data in different compression algorithms into those SSDs to increase the capacity. I mean, the, you talked about security. And those are just a couple examples. Yeah, you talked about security early on, which I think is important. And, um, and that's another thing you can have that those GPUs everywhere looking for abnormalities, you know, in the data paths. And also one of the great things you can do with DPUs that Modi, I'm sure, has talked to you about is you plug VMware into it. This is product Monter Monterey, right? Mm -hmm. Project Monterey that we made a big deal about it yeah. in one of the GTCs. Yeah. With Last a, year sometime. Yeah. And basically it's a DPU that's now running VMware's hypervisor. So now the users, all the VMs are still running in the x86, but they can't get to the hypervisor. They can't get to the I.O. They Some can't separation. get to the storage. It's on a different processor, only accessible through technologies that are hardware built into the DPUs. It's no soft, there's no software barrier to break through. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And so you have this, that's why we say DPUs uh, have security through isolation, because you can basically isolate right. all the working vulnerable pieces mm -hmm. of um, the security, I don't know, threat, whatever they call it, threat or threat uh, vector, right? Away from, from the users. And that, that's kind of not my space, um, you know, except when I talk about software-defined storage. Sure. Yeah, and in, in that area, it's, it's my space. Well, all that encryption, though, is interesting, but... <laughs> but that's just isolation. No, well... But the DPUs can also encrypt data. I'm right, sorry. But we, yeah, no, but when you start thinking yeah. about the encryption, it really changes... Um, it has the potential to change the value proposition for a lot of parts of the data center. Things that used to be dedupe appliances for backup targets. Now, what do we do? Because the encrypted data is not impossible, maybe, but really hard to shrink it, right? Because you can't understand it and, and compress it once it's uh, encrypted really well. But there's a lot of opportunity to be disruptive here to, to solve some of these security challenges. Yeah, and um, if you've looked at so a couple things you said there. One is encryption. It takes a lot of CPU power. Even though there's special commands to mm -hmm. do it, it takes a lot of CPU power. So that's one thing DPUs do in hardware, like the NVMe or Fabrics offload engine I talked about. There's encryption engines for all the major protocols. Our latest chip, the Bluefield 3, has MacSec, IPSec, AIS, which is the... the um, AES, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. which is the um, algorithm for data at rest, you know, mm -hmm. the one that they do with FIPS compliance and everything. Sure. And then TLS, which is the new one for NVMe over fabrics. All that's built in hardware engines. CPU doesn't have to do anything. That's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. Gets you all that. Because that, uh, you know, I think we're getting to the point where some of these things are going to become standard even in the enterprise that obviously government's been doing this stuff for forever but but uh, there's a new part in the government that um, Biden signed an executive order I can't remember after which I think it was when they hacked into the what did they hack into all the um, what's it the oil companies or something oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a pipeline into something like that or, or anyway yeah. um, he signed an executive order that you not only have to now if you're working with the government encrypt the data at rest but also the data in flight 
Yeah. And so that's a big thing for storage companies that want to sell to the government. Now they can't send that data in the clear from their front end to their back end like they used to. And so DPU helps you resolve that. Absolutely. I guess you could, yeah, I mean, that's maybe this one of the simpler ways to, to get there. So that, that um, product we talked about um, that Vast will go into details on, they just turn on a switch and now that data path from their front to their back end is all encrypted. Should make it easier to sell into those uh, federal accounts. They're, they're doing some analytics last I checked. <laughs> yeah, they're probably listening to us right now. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. Um, well, this is uh, this has been a fun conversation. I know you've got to go give your your bit of uh, of talk to the the group next, but uh, really appreciate it and. Uh, you know, can't wait to see what what you've got coming at uh, GTC here in a, a little bit and a couple weeks now and and what, whatever else happens the rest of the year but things are back we're in person right it's uh, it is kind of fun, fun isn't it it's really fun all right well thanks for hanging out for a little bit appreciate it my pleasure thank right. you